Hey guys, so we've been doing like this thing where we go through all the ologies, but when are we gonna get to the ology? I'm glad you asked, Carly. We're here. We're here right now. <laughs> We're doing the ology, otherwise known as theology, the study Ooh. of God proper and like, you know, the center of theology study. Um, I haven't prepared for this episode at all. I'm just gonna be honest. <laughs> You could just do I'm the glad Winnie you guys the Pooh, have. the Winnie but the Pooh thing. So it's like theology, and then like God proper. So then like what? Uh, AJ's trying to make a joke, and I'm not following him. <laughs> like the Winnie the Pooh thing. So it says like God proper, and then in the bottom it says like Yahweh. Oh, with the fancy suit. <laughs> yeah, the the the, the <laughs> Winnie the Pooh meme. He's talking about the Winnie the Pooh meme. Oh, the one. <laughs> This is going to be dated in a year. Um, so we're here and we're going to talk about theology. We're going to talk about the like study of God. Um, so we've been talking a lot about other ologies, other studies, and we've obviously touched on um, theology all the time because, I mean, that's ultimately everything we've been talking about. Um, but to get it, get to it more specifically, right? What is theology? Um, as opposed to any of the other ologies that we've covered that talk about God, um, what is theology? And so, you know, just from Wikipedia, theology is the critical study of the nature of the divine. No, it's a basically the study of God, right? It's theology. It's theology. Um, theosology. Um, so, what did you guys want to talk about? What when we were talking about theology, Carly, you have you have something to go off of? The first thing I go was going to say is we should probably say this is the Christian artist. Oh, we should. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so not prepared it's for fine. this. It's a warm open because it just like settled and <laughs> settled in and became the episode. <laughs> This is the Christian Artist, honoring Christ through creativity. My name is Caleb. My name is Carly. And my name is AJ. <laughs> I usually go third, so. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So we're here. And after we've just introduced to you everything about the topic, instead of making some sort of pithy i mean we did make a pithy reference but then we continued to explain the topic uh for the entire length of the opening um but yeah like what what do we want to talk about what what um pieces of theology proper are important for the christian to understand um let's get down to the basics shall we i guess a good question I mean, to ask first is why why should we study theology right that's kind yeah, of a good place to start i was gonna ask that yeah um <laughs> as as christians we should study theology because like we should know what we believe and we should know why we believe it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And since we are Christians and we believe in God, uh, it's, it's probably important to, to know God. Yeah. who God is. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to, there you go. So who is God guys? This is an easy question to answer, right? He's God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, there we go. That's our episode. That's it. We're done. Thank you, everyone. But yeah, so right, like st studying theology as a um, primary pursuit of the Christian. Like, I mean, this is really the reason we're doing this series, right? Is because we know we we were trying to get it across to everybody how important theology is. Um, that theology matters. That 
what you believe about God really matters. Bad theology hurts people. Bad theology hurts you. Bad theology disobeys God. So on and so forth, right? Um, it's really important to be able to get this right. Um, but when we talk about the study of God or the nature of the divine in its essence, what are we talking about? Right? Like, how do we get down to the basics? Just revelation of scripture. Yeah. Of who God has revealed himself to be and how he has revealed himself to be so that we can see his nature and that we are in our worship and in our prayer and fellowship with God, that we are not in idolatry and not in, in pagan worship of some made up deity. That's not truly God. Because mm -hmm. um, if we get off, off base off of that, and like at times we do, even when we think we're kind of on the right track, I think, and yeah, it's just, it's not honoring to God and it's, the idolatry is there and it's um, just being destructive in our relationship with them when we allow <clears throat> little things and inconsistencies about who he is to kind of cause us to form a God in our own head that isn't how God has revealed himself to be in scripture. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think that's the perfect place to start um, is the reason we can know God at all at all is because he's revealed himself to us in scripture, right? And that's where we have to start. Um, we can't start with any private revelation or um, feeling about who God is. We can't start with man's own opinion, um, however intelligent someone might be about who God is. We have to get our um, understanding of who God is from scripture itself and scripture alone. Um, we can't let external sources to be, um, we can't let external sources be uh, an authority over scripture, but rather let scripture be an authority over external sources. Um, and so that, right, brings us back to sola scriptura, right? Scripture alone. Um, uh, the Christian scriptures are the sole infallible rule of faith and practice. And this includes everything we've been talking about so far in this series. And also, also of course, you know, just the study of God in general. Um, so we have to start with scripture. So AJ, do you have scripture to read to us right now? You have your Bible I've open. Few, I've got a few of them, though. Yeah. I bookmarked here, so it wouldn't be as slow to go to each of them. Yeah, I mean, but like, right, like talking about who God is, like, what answers can you give us? <laughs> We're dying to know, AJ. And I'll look up some, too. So part of them kind of go into more doxology so i don't know if that would be kind of more towards the end of the episode mm -hmm. as a transition into another episode if that was the one following this since they probably we should probably do doxology next yeah and then we should do the trinity because it just naturally kind of follows from uh the two albums that shyland did one with the lyrical theology yeah. and then doxology so having or one the other naturally should be following if we <clears throat> get stuck in theology and just have it be a mental ascent and a deep study of who God is. Mm -hmm. Not that that's a bad thing, but that it should result in praise and honor um, and glory to God um, instead of just being stuck on having that that knowledge and letting that puff us up as opposed to letting it humble us and that much more pursue God, knowing more who he is and more who we are, mm -hmm. um, that those should naturally follow each other. Yeah, this is a good pairing, an episode to pair with... Um our episode on man, right? So listen to anthropology, then listen to this episode. Or, you know, you listen to this episode and then listen to anthropology. Um, 
and uh, right, there's a there's a difference between us and God, and that's ultimately what forms um, the the whole reason the Bible was written, the whole reason for Scripture, right? Because if if there is no man, or if there's no difference between man and God, then there's no dif- there's no reason for God to give us um, revelation about who He is, because we'd already know, um, or we would not exist. Uh, so, yeah. You got any passages, or I have something too. I think. Part of it just with God's attributes. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you've mentioned this in other episodes before as well. Yeah. Um, and Connor did with, with the youth as well, like going beyond just having a list of God's attributes and then that being the only thing that we do is like list out these things and say, oh yeah, God is those. Okay, good job. We made a list and, yeah. and we... Mm-hmm. acknowledge that those are a bunch of things so even though this God. book is really important even though you can't read it because it's upside down or you know reverse <laughs> um mirrored uh the attributes of god by arthur w pink uh just reading um just reading off like god has decrees god has knowledge god is omniscient god is immutable doesn't tell us anything unless we define what those things mean and if we define those what those things mean via scripture mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we have lots of statements of, um, who God is in, in the Bible, right? Of course we first have Genesis one, one in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. That tells us two things, right? God was there before the beginning and God created the beginning (laughs) more or less, right? Like everything in the beginning, he created the heavens and earth. He's the creator of everything. Um, there's no, nothing outside of God that is mentioned as having, as existing at any point. Um, uh, so that's probably where, where we start, right? God is a creator. And so that brings us to a lot of different, um, important stipulations right up front, right? If we're studying God and we know that God was before creation and he created everything, um, that means that we are, we are his creation, right? Not just the world, not just the heavens, not just animals but we are his creation which means we have certain obligations automatically to him right because uh we are created with a purpose um because we have a designer who created us with that purpose in mind and so we need to fulfill that purpose and there's lots of purposes that we can fulfill but ultimately right our our ultimate purpose is to give glory to god right is to worship god um and and then we get into genesis 2 and 3 where we have um uh man falling, failing to worship God by disobeying his commandments. And thus we have the problem, right? The main problem of all scripture, the main problem of all of humanity um, is we're separated from God because of our disobedience. We don't worship God. And so thus we have to be punished with death. Um, and that's, that's, that's the first place to start with all of this. And we have to get that from scripture. We can't get that from, from just making it up on our own because we can get it wrong. So we have to get our authority from that. Where would we go next? What other things? I think then you immediately get into, well, obviously you already had mercy and grace in creation itself, but yeah, even more directly to the creation with Adam and Eve and not um, immediately killing them in that way. Obviously they would have a physical death, but that they had the sacrifice and the precursor to 
Jesus's sacrifice by having them be clothed um, because that we don't have that exact actually let's open up to it It'd be better to see yeah. in the exact context of it mm -hmm. as opposed to just from memory um, Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So if the Bible is pointing throughout its entirety to Christ, not that in every single story Christ is like directly there, like each like interaction with each person, yeah. like that's Christ, that's Christ in there, but like <laughs> that it's it's pointing to him so in there, even though it's not explicitly saying an animal was sacrificed it's if we're getting that straight from genesis going beyond that that would point to <clears throat> the sacrificial lamb with having them have those tunics of skin mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right so god is gracious and merciful right he provides people things that they don't deserve and doesn't give them things that they do deserve you know, bad things. Um, <clears throat> and then, of course, we have, uh, you know, the love of God, <laughs> right? Like, that's that's the, the probably the thing that people go to the most when they, it's like, who is God? God is love. First John, whatever the passage is. 4-8, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I feel like we should mention that quickly because I feel like people take that immediately out of context right away by saying that's all God is. Um, yeah. And even though, I, I mean, maybe I agree with that to an extent that like every part of him is loving and like all of his attributes can be summed up in but love. Love but, means more than most people think it does. Yeah. And, and ultimately we have to understand love for who is, is in mind here. Not, not necessarily mm -hmm. love for people, love for himself. Yeah. Ultimately, that's 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 what we have to get back to, right? Is God, God's ultimate characteristic is love, but that's because He loves Himself. Like the the Father loves the Son, the the Son loves the Father, the Father loves the Spirit, the Spirit loves both the Father and the Son, right? There's communion within the Trinity. There's this perfect loving communion, um, and that's ultimately where we get all of that from. It's it, God's God's love as an attribute doesn't start with like, oh, God loves us so much. No, God loves himself. God has like perfect loving community with himself. Um, and then graciously and mercifully out of his own good pleasure, right, decides to give that love to a redeemed people. Um, but it's he's inviting us into the love that he has for himself, not like externally sending out some sort of love that's external from himself or not directed at himself because i think john piper always says this best um right like we uh, uh and i can't even remember the quote um the like the, the desiring god quote uh god is most or we are most god we are most satisfied what how does it start <laughs> god is most glorified in us and we are most satisfied in him i don't know if that's the order something of it. like that it's something like that but right, like it's the idea that just like the chief end of man, the chief end of man, 
is to glorify God and to enjoy him and forever. to enjoy him forever. Right. Okay. Um, and that's not because or that that's because God is the perfect being, right? He is everything. Everything is about God. Everything points to God. God is the ultimate in every way, shape or form. So when we need anything, we go to God. When we are, when we want to be satisfied in any way, we go to God and he's the only one who can actually satisfy that. And he's the ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate pleasure, the ultimate love, the ultimate good that anyone can ever have. Um, which means that God also thinks that way about himself, right? He, he doesn't go looking for humans to satisfy something that he needs. He goes, looks to himself to satisfy the thing that he needs, which is nothing, but you know, <laughs> love, you know, the things that he wants, right? Like loving, loving community. Um, he, he just needs himself for that. He, he doesn't need us for that. Um, and so uh, this is something I've really been kind of learning a lot recently. Um, it's just that this idea um, specifically about salvation, right? The the idea of salvation, the reason God loves um, people as redeemed people, um, it's not because of anything about us at all, what in, in any way, shape, or form. It's all because of the Father's love for the Son, and so the Son saves us, right, through His blood, and it's because we are made co-heirs with Christ, because we are made adopted sons, equal with Christ in that heir fashion right like being heirs of of the inheritance that christ gets that that the father loves us because he sees jesus not because of us he loves us through christ um right and it's because our 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 god's love for us hinges on god's love for his son um and sometimes it's just important to remember the god-centeredness i think is what i'm trying to get across of every part of reality because if we don't it's really, really, really easy to get really high up on ourselves for one reason or another. There's always a reason we can find to, to for us to be great at, in some way. Um, but we need to remember that God is the center of all of this. And so when we're, I mean, honestly, a study theology should, if you're doing it right, make that more apparent to you, right? Humble you more and more as you realize that God is great and you are not, um, right? It's the contrast between God being so awesome and us not being awesome at all. Um, that makes this so wonderful. So, yeah. I was just thinking as well, just with with the Trinity in and the Godhead in their work in salvation for us and sanctification and mm -hmm. and glorification. Like we, you have the Holy Spirit within you as well if you're a believer. So like, we're almost well, you are, but like being drawn into that is not complete as it is in the godhead but like if the holy spirit is within us like that we're drawn into that fellowship in that way as well because of christ's righteousness being imputed to us and being indwelt with the holy spirit like that we're like i don't know i just imagine like someone floating up through the air and like just like having fellowship mm -hmm. like that where we are a rock that's extremely weighed down and we're not going to move. But then the Holy Spirit draws that rock up regardless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other aspects of God, uh, parts of the study of God you want to touch on? Carly, you have any thoughts? Uh, 
I mean, I was going to say, I've kind of been thinking about that same thing a lot recently. Like, with Easter coming up, I've been listening to a lot more Andrew Peterson Resurrection yeah, yeah. Letters. Uh-huh. And, um, and I actually, I think it's on the prologue album where he has a song called Well Done, Good and Faithful. Mm. And, like, that statement I've been thinking about a lot. I've read through, like, the first seven chapters of Matthew as a for a Bible study that um, some people in my youth group are doing. And I was like realizing throughout the entire thing, like Jesus says so many things that seem impossible for us to accomplish, but he says them because the only way that we can accomplish them is through him. And the only way that God would ever tell us well done, good and faithful is if we are saved by Christ, because he's really ultimately saying that to Christ. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Right. Because I mean, and this is something that we, I mean, I feel like just doesn't get mentioned enough in Christian circles is this idea of the active obedience of Christ. Right. So we all know about the passive obedience of Christ, of Mm -hmm. Christ offering himself up as a sacrifice, dying for our sins. um, And so we can have our sins removed, but that only brings our bank account to zero. Right. It doesn't bring our bank account above that. We, we, we're no longer in negative infinity, um, but we need our bank account because this is the issue, right? We have to go back to the to the covenant of works, right? All of us are under this covenant of works as fallen humans under the same covenant that Adam was under. We're, we're obligated by being create creations um, of a good God to follow that standard, right? To, to, to uphold the standard of God. The problem is we none of us do it perfectly or at all in any way, shape, or form, honestly. Um, we always fall short of that by a major amount. And... Um, because we're stuck in this sin, we can't get out of that cycle. We, we're continually disobeying God. Um, and so what Christ has to do is he not only has to lay down his life, but he also has to live his life as a person, as a human being, um, being the second Adam. This is one the reason why Jesus is called the second Adam is because he fulfilled the covenant of works where we, where we couldn't and Adam didn't. Um, and so Christ lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He lived 33 perfect years following God's law to its fullest extent to the spirit and the letter. And he, um, uh, right. He, he, uh, gives that to us, right. He is the great exchange, right. We, we give Christ, um, our sin, right. What Christ gets our sin and pays for that sin, but he also gives us his perfect works, um, and so, yeah, as you were saying, right, like when God looks at us and says, well done, good and faithful servant, he's he's not saying that we did anything good. He's he's seeing the work that Christ did for us and the, the work that the Holy Spirit did in us um, and saying good, well done to that. Um, and it's not because of anything inherent in us that we we've accomplished anything. Um, it's just through Christ's work and the Holy Spirit's work through us. So, yeah. Our dog agrees. <laughs> um one thing that i think is also really important i mean the the attribute that often gets overlooked because of our because of the fact that we're the opposite of this is ho- the holiness of god yeah. um right like god is holy and this is the t- the the attribute that is most referred to in scripture um when when uh God is referred to as anything he's referred to as holy um, more than anything else. Um, and what does that mean? Can someone give me a definition of the word holy? Just think of the, of Moses being by the burning bush there and, and then God telling him that this is holy ground that you're standing upon. Yeah. Take off your sandals, like seeing that set apartness, but we at times just kind of minimize it and 
we don't truly see the set-apartness in the extent that we should, causing us to be humbled and, and to have the Holy Spirit desire within us to um, submit and take up our cross daily. Um, we just get off track of that and kind of minimize that holiness and then think that we can kind of go throughout our day and just do stuff under our own power. But yeah, I think with that one being kind of overlooked, that that kind of results in how what worship looks like during our day, with what things we worship instead of God. Mm-hmm. Carly, you have any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I was just gonna say holiness is to be set apart, and there are a lot of things in the Bible that God declares as holy, but <laughs> ultimately He is the holiest thing because he's the one that declares those things as such. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it's really and that nothing and no one is like him. So, right. 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 I was going to say like, right. Like that's, that's ultimately what he's the holiness is being like God. Right. So like, <laughs> because he is set apart, he's so different from, from everything. Um, that, yeah, when, I mean, when God says something is holy, that means it's like him. And it, it doesn't mean that it's actually like him in like a, quantifiable yeah. almost like him way but like in comparison to everything else right mm -hmm. like it's set apart um right so when yeah as you're saying right moses comes to the burning bush and he says take off your sandals for the ground on which you stand is holy ground um right it's this idea of like wow this is different this is this is godly right this is perfect um or at least reaching towards perfection um and that's why god calls um Israel in the Old Testament, right, to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Like, like he, he's, he's giving them a standard of holiness by which they're supposed to be different from the other nations. Um, so when uh, a pagan nation, right, like worships other gods, they kill their children, they do all these horrible things. Uh, God says, no, Israel, you are going to be holy. You're going to be different. You're going to be set apart from them. And so to to that end, I'm going to give you all of these um, commandments to help you do that, to help you be more holy, to be more like me, um, to help you not follow after these idols, right? So he gives them all of these holiness codes, all of these laws like um, like don't don't get tattoos and don't eat these certain foods, not because those things are in and of themselves um, like perfect or good in like a godly way necessarily but he wanted like because of the connotations that almost all of those things had if you look through leviticus and and, and do a, a historical study on what the pagan practices were um with tattoos and a lot of these animals that were being used and a lot of the practices that are condemned in scripture in Levit leviticus that seem weird to us it's because these pagan nations were using those things in such horrid ways right so tattoos were i think i believe it was like um in primarily like pagan religious rituals wasn't it i'm, I'm trying to remember more specific than that um but uh, right, there's a lot of stuff like that where it was like, don't do this because it will lead you to these other nations. It will make you more like yeah. these other nations, and they're those nations are bad. It's not to say that tattoos in and of, them, in and of themselves are bad, um, but rather the things they signified to the people in that day were. Um, and so he was like, don't even don't even go there. Like, be holy um, as as I am holy. Um, I think another really big part of God's character um, is his unchangingness, mm -hmm. his immutability, that it's just yeah. where so many 
um, offshoots of Christianity. And a lot of them where they go beyond, pretty much all of them going beyond the <clears throat> the scriptures and going into um, extra revelation and tradition to define who they believe God to be. And ultimately that's leading them into idolatry, even though they are believing that that's who God is and what directly contradicts what he reveals in his word of who he is, that he is not changing. Um, and just in our human nature, if we just, not that you could constantly do this, but like reading straight all the way through the scriptures, even though God's word is not going to return void, like someone with, with a hardened heart, as they just read straight through, they're going to um, see like what's commonly said in our society that in the Old Testament, God was God of wrath. And in the New Testament, he's a God of love and um, not seeing the reality that both of those attributes of God are true, both in the Old Testament and the New mm -hmm. Testament. Um, and not understanding the disti distinction between the covenants, but the, the new covenant being a better covenant so that the sacrificial system would find its ultimate end in, in the person of Christ mm -hmm. doing that work on the cross so yeah. that they wouldn't have to continue to have millions of, of animals die um, in the place of the sins of the people of Israel. Yeah, I have a couple of passages that, uh, as I'm going through, flipping through um, Attributes of God by Arthur W. Pink, um, he brings up in this chapter on immutability, um, Deuteronomy 32.4, which says, The rock... His work is perfect for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he, right? So it's, God is often described as the rock. And that's the, the reason for that is because he is immutable, right? God cannot be moved. Um, and so he's the rock. He's the unchanging rock. He's going to stay there where he is um, in his perfection. And then it says in James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Right? So there's no, no variation in God. There's no shadow due to change. God is not going to decide to be one way one day and then change his mind the next day. Even though we have um, parts of scripture that seem to indicate that to us, right? When we have um, Ab Abraham pleading for the lives of Sodom, of the righteous that may be found in Sodom and Gomorrah. We have uh, various things like that, right? Where, where it seems God is like changing his mind. But it, I mean, scripture makes clear to us in those passages as I've, as I've studied them, um, that it's God like testing those people, right? He's giving them an, an, a, a, um, a, a way to respond to him. Um, God often takes on human characteristics um, in a way to be um, uh, understandable, understandable to, to, to people, right? Um, and so even though it seems that he is one way, I mean, it, it, if you do a honest study of scripture, you can see that he doesn't change his standard throughout throughout scripture he has the same standard he has the same righteousness he doesn't suddenly decide to do something um one day and then change his mind about the goodness of that thing because there wouldn't be no change um to that right if god is sovereign if god is in control if god is perfectly good if god is perfectly holy then there would be no reason for him to ever change his mind when he decides to do something because it would by definition be the most perfect holy and good thing that could be done in that situation right um and so, uh, and those, those are things we get from scripture, right? This isn't me like placing some sort of, um, theological system on top of scripture, 
Um, even though I don't have like a wealth of scriptures to just point to like right now off the top of my head, um, uh, the consistent witness of scripture is that God is, God is, um, unchanging, right? We haven't, um, uh, I mean, literally Malachi three, six, it just says straight up, I am the Lord. I change not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like we have Exodus three fifteen, I am that I am right. Like God refers mm-hmm. to himself as I am that I am that, that is a sig- that is a, a Hebrew word that means or a phrase, right. That literally means like, there's no other thing that could be just des- could describe me, but like, I am me and mm-hmm. I will never change. Right. Like I am that I am. It's not, I am that I was, and I might change tomorrow mm-hmm. or whatever. Right. Like I am that I am. I am always the same. I am myself. Um, I don't oh, remember yeah. the reference yeah, for it, but the, the other one that Jeff Durbin quotes a lot, um, uh, God is not a man that he would lie and God is not a son of man that he would repent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's a, that's a thing that people will, um, that, uh, the, uh, anti-lordship salvation people will bring up a lot is that it seems like God repents in scripture, right? He, he decides to not kill someone when he was planning on killing someone. But then you have a verse like that, that just completely upends and yeah. he, he literally says, I don't repent in the same way. Like, uh, because he's unchanging, right? Even if he seems to have done this, um, he, um, we can, I mean, specifically, we can see this in the account of, of Abraham, um, uh, pleading for the lives of the righteous that may be found in Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, we see in the subtext, right? In the context of, of the passage that God is like testing him as a patriarch. I've, I've just been doing, I just finished a study through Genesis, um, and, uh, it's very obvious that God is like testing the character of this man that he is, you know, has designated as the patriarch of this new nation that he's making. He wants to test his righteousness, test his character. Um, and, uh, not that he's going to change his mind. Um, uh, because that's the thing, right? Cause God already knew that there was only one righteous person to be found in that city, which was Lot. Right. And he did save that person. He had already decided to do this. Um, and so, right, like leading Adam, uh, Adam, uh, Abraham through this process, right, was for his sake, not for God's sake. I think kind just... of off of that, my sorry, <laughs> uh, my mom just said, "Our God is in the heavens; He does whatever He pleases." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah. Exactly. Um. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, um. I think to with the story of Abraham because you have all of the other um, the sexual immorality and the paganism of other nations like kind of violently being brought into that through like later on through um, you get down to uh, Jacob and Isaac and Jacob and like if you when I read through it this most recent time, because I'm, I'm currently in Leviticus, but just reading through those again more recently, like in the last couple of months, it's like just more blaringly, obviously, just seeing the reality of how easily that sin creeps in and just how it just defiles from one generation to another. And then when there's a turn back towards righteousness, then just seeing that pattern then there as well. Um, and then just another one of the passages for immutability in uh, Hebrews thirteen eight, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, just one that always comes to mind when I think of that. 
um, the passage for the one you brought up, Carly, is actually in here. It's Numbers 23, 19. Um, right, God is a man. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. That's, yeah. I think, I think, I think uh, Arthur W. Pink used the KJV in here, but you can't be perfect. Only God is perfect. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we're, yeah, we're kind of like going through different attributes. Um, and I feel like we have, I mean, I, I'm sure we've talked about plenty of these attributes too over oh, the years of the Christian artist. Um, then any others that jump to your mind um, that you want to cover? We already have un we have eternal creator mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and unchanging in his love and grace and mercy i guess with his <clears throat> with um his holiness and his and his justice and his wrath mm -hmm. like specifically justice and wrath because it's yeah, another yeah. one besides yeah. his unchangingness that those two right because people, god is unchanging his standard him. does not change nor does his um yeah his uh punishments for those standards um, and, and this is, a, honestly, this is a really important thing because I feel like it doesn't, it, people just misunderstand this all the time. Um, I remember, you know, good old Stephen Furtick saying, um, uh, God, Jesus broke the law for love, right? That's, that's his big statement. He's like, Jesus broke the law so that you, you could love you guys. Cause you should have been punished, but he decided not to punish you. Right. And it's just like, no, that is not how that worked in any way, shape or form. He did the opposite. He did the very he exact opposite. So many times over just through Christ. Yes, exactly. Right. God, Jesus kept the law for love. Um, he did everything that was required of him in the law for love. Um, he died a sinner's death. He did the thing that, you know, a sinner was supposed to do die a horrible death. Um, so that sinners could be made righteous, right? He didn't break his law. He perfectly kept his law because he is just and, and righteous. Um, um, God did not just ignore a punishment. He did not ignore his holy standards. Um, and, and honestly, I feel like this is because we have such a, a backwards mindset about God's law and his righteousness in general. Um, we have such a disconnect between the old Testament and the new Testament, not realizing that those things are perfectly um, consistent with one another, um, right? That God does not change. And so the God's like function in, in his law, like the, the, the punishments for those things, the, the standard for righteousness doesn't change. But what did change was that now our relationship, we just went through this. We were going through Romans 7, right, um, in our, our Bible study, right? Uh, our relationship to the law changed. Um, the law didn't. Our relationship to it did. Um, before, we were under its condemnation, and there was nothing we could do about that. We were going to have to punish, be, suffered, uh, be punished and suffer. Um, but Jesus kept the perfect law. Um, he did everything that was required of him in the law um, so that we could— have a relation with relationship with the law changed right before we were a criminal now we are not a criminal not because of anything that we did not because jesus bribed the judge but rather that jesus kept the um the law and he took the punishment that we actually deserved and is still actually there it didn't the punishment didn't go away jesus took it he suffered it um it didn't just get ignored um god the father actually poured out his wrath on his son um god the father 
didn't just ignore the law. He didn't just say like, all right, Jesus, you just got to, you know, because I literally think that some people have this mindset that Jesus like didn't like when people say like, I don't believe in penal substitutionary atonement, right? That like Jesus took the wrath of God for our, our sins. I'm just like, then what did he do? Then like, what was the point? And then you usually say something like he, you know, he died to free us from sin and death, but like, why, why did he need to do that? And like, how the, would he possibly do that? Like if he's not taking our sin. Right. And, th- and that's because we just have a fundamental misunderstanding of why death exists, why sin exists and what our relationship to those things are. Um, I feel like some people have a mindset that death is the like, the big bad that like Jesus has to, and this is true in some sense, right? But like they, they t- this is the only thing that's true about theology for, for some people I feel, right? That like um, death is just like beating us up in the corner and there's nothing we can do about it. And it's just like, oh, poor us. We got to be saved from death. And then Jesus comes and beats up death and then we're saved. Um, the problem is we're not the innocent ones in this situation, right? Like we're not the victims in this situation. We are the perpetrators of the crime. We're the death is the righteous punishment for that crime. Death is the enemy, but it's a good enemy for sinners, right? That's the right enemy. God instituted that enemy. God uses that enemy to judge sinners righteously. Um, death is only the enemy in a bad way if we're perfect, Right. If, if, if somehow we were being, we were dying and still not sinning, still not, you know, we aren't sinners and we're still dying, then yeah, it would make total sense that Jesus is like, all right, I got to come save you from death. But you know, at that point, death is more powerful than God for apparently. Um, uh, and he has to like fight him tooth and nail to like free us. Um, no, like all of these things have to work in perfect synchronization, right? God has to be over all of this. And honestly, like everything, it always comes back to the sovereignty of God, right? Like if, if we don't have a a view of God as completely sovereign over every part of the heavens and the earth and time and history and everything, then we're going to have these disconnects. Something is going to be more powerful than God, right? Something is going to seem more powerful than God because God can't control it. Um, and for some people that's death. Um, but when God perfectly keeps his righteous standards and punishes sinners, but then provides a way graciously and mercifully because he is still consistent, um, that, that he himself can suffer that punishment and still meet the righteous requirements that, that has to happen because sin has occurred. Then we have a perfect synchronization of not only, um, God's own character, but God in the members of the Trinity and God sovereign over humanity, um, instead of being um, uh, substandard or um, under subjugation by, you know, death or f- human free will or whatever it is, um, right? God has to be in control of those things. He has to be the one who, from beginning to end, has written the story. Otherwise, I mean, some people believe that God is like the best improv storyteller of all time, but that's not the God that scripture gives us. Um, there's so many periods, like if you just just read Isaiah, Please just read Isaiah if you actually believe that yeah. God just like reacts to everything. Read Isaiah. He doesn't. Yeah. And death was not the cause of the fall, but it was an effect of the fall. Yeah. And sin was the ultimate cause of the fall. Yes. Right. Because we, we get the causality mixed up. It's like, yeah. oh no, we're dying. And, and because of death, like literally I had, this was a conversation I had with someone on Twitter 
uh, or not Twitter on Facebook. Uh, I don't know, a couple like a month or so ago, someone someone brought up like posted an article about Romans five twelve, and apparently it was this whole thing about like how Romans five twelve was mistranslated and how it was like death is actually the reason that sin happens, not sin being the reason that death happens. Um, and it was this weird, horrible, horrible causality thing that just destroys the rest of scripture's witness on this subject. He was like, this person just atomized one particular verse that and I still disagreed on his interpretation, um, to, to get this whole big theology that just ruins everything else. I don't understand how, like just a straightforward reading of it. That's not the order that the verse yeah that he says yeah. Like, that's not the order the verse lays it out and... it says death through sin <laughs> yeah. yeah and i might be able to find this therefore just as through one man sin entered the world yeah. and death through sin so sin being coming first in that cause and death through that sin that was there and then death spreading to all men because all sinned um i'm gonna see if i can is there another translation that has the order bizarre. i am not entirely sure let me see if we can find person's blog again here forging plowshares that's what it's called blog Uh, I'm not finding it offhand. It was like about original sin and yeah, here we go. The real tragedy of Augustine and real original sin. Let's see. Let's see what he says. This, the mistranslation of Romans 5.12 in the Latin of Vulgate obscures, or in fact makes impossible, the meaning of the Greek original, but it took the theological genius of Augustine to ensure that this fundamental error would shape Western theology. What Augustine provides is an explanation for the mistranslation in whom, all, in whom Adam all sinned. Nothing remains but to conclude that in the first man all are understood to have sinned, because all were in him when he sinned. Whatever it means that all were in him when he sinned, um, in some way is... Everyone is born guilty and damned in the eyes of God. Because they are guilty or dam and damned, or because they all sinned, um, death then spread to everyone. Even for those who have done nothing, it is as if though they have sinned. Um, so I'm trying to find out, uh, how does he think it is mistranslated? This mistranslation and misinterpretation makes nonsense of Paul's explanation of the propagation of sin through death, and as a result in the history of the Western Church, sin's propagation is mostly left to mystery. It is the reign of death which accounts for the spread of sin and non vice versa, interwoven through the passage is the universally observable truth that death reigns. Death spread to all men, death reigned, the many die, death reigned through the one, as sin reigned in death. As Paul concludes in verse 21, sin reigned in death and not the other way around, and it is this explanation for the propagation and work of sin, to say nothing of salvation, that he will build on for the next three chapters. Um, death reigned from Adam to Moses. He, yeah, so he makes an argument basically like in verse 14. It says death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned in the matter of Adam. And so he's making this argument that like uh, sin's struggle in Paul's explanation is a struggle for existence in the face of the reality of death. 
So literally, like, the reason we sin is because death haunts us, right? It's because we're constantly, you know, shaped by this fear of death. Um, uh, and, and then literally, he, and it's so weird, um, the way he phrases this, too. Um, uh, Abraham is depicted as relinquishing the struggle, though he is as good as dead due to his and Sarah's ages, age and childlessness. Nonetheless, they believe that God could give them life, a son, and this belief is summed up as a resurrection faith. It is not clear how resurrection faith would have anything to do with sin, were it not for the fact that sin is or the orientation to death, death denial reversed in Abraham and Christ, death acceptance. So literally, he 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 makes this whole atomization of this verse to 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 build on this giant theology where life and death are the reasons for everything and not sin. Um, and I'm trying to find the where he actually thinks the mistranslation is, but. I don't know what because what does it say in the, I'm, I'm what does it say in the ESV because because yeah what I'm reading what I was reading from would obviously be from the, the Latin Vulgate and the NKJV even though slightly altered to more modern English but so Romans 5 12 in this is totally a, a tangent but you know this is the Christian artist so we're <laughs> yeah, on tangent. you have those um, in the ESV, it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, yes. and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Yeah, it's worded the same. So, yeah, I don't. Much exactly the same. I don't really know where. <laughs> so I don't understand the idea and of so, this translation. I, I think, I, I don't, I don't. Um... And he'd have to look at Adam and Eve. Okay, he's just a very he's good, bad job of actually there. describing what the mistranslation is. Did he even explain it in there? Or he just goes and starts explaining it. I don't know. He things. might have explained it in a previous blog post. Different one. Vulgate. Yeah, so basically his argument is original. I mean, he's literally arguing that original sin doesn't exist. Um, and instead, we like literally a, a semi-Pelagian, like we sin because of death. And so we are apparently born not in sin. And so then we trying to avoid become death. a sin because we're trying to avoid death. Um, yeah, which is just an atomization of everything that doesn't work. So then people that are... It complete it completely ignores Misguided. all of the penal sanctions in the Old Testament. It completely ignores the entire point of all of the law, like literally all of the law, because um, it was very obviously to assuage God's wrath. So I don't, I don't know, I don't get it. Because then someone that's like completely deluded as to like death existing in that viewpoint, then could like not sin because of not being deceived as to that death isn't going to happen. Almost opens the door for that as well, though. Which doesn't make any sense. Because then someone who's deluded like that in that viewpoint could live a sinless life if they didn't. Obviously, so then at the moment that they're about to die, then they would start sinning and then. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't get it. 
It's a bizarre sci-fi world. It is a bizarre sci-fi world. Anyway, so random tangent. Uh, <laughs> where what were we even talking about? What was the point of any Penal of this? Substitution. Yeah. Oh yeah. Penal substitution. Right. Atonement. Because yeah. of, of of immutability. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, but literally in that in that view, right? If if we had this view, it would it would make the Old Testament pointless. Like I don't know what mm-hmm. what the Old Testament's even about at that point. So anyway, <laughs> theology. <laughs> uh, yeah. Any other uh, attributes of God? Specific points you want to bring up before we kind of wrap it. Uh, I mean, we've talked about the sovereignty of God in multiple places already. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think if there's any other. Right, I mean, the power of God is obviously uh, an important thing to remember, <laughs> right? The God, not because this this goes into sovereignty, right? Like, not only is God free and able to do whatever He pleases, but He is. I don't know if, I already, I gave it away. Not only is, Not he, is he free he's to do able. whatever, he's able, yeah. right? He can accomplish anything that he he decides to do and uh, whatever he decides to do is good. Um, and so, right. And I'm sure we've gotten into this with other, other, um, other discussions too, but uh, the James White quote that comes to mind, um, right? Jesus was not a weak beggar. He was a, he's a powerful savior and the gospel is not a suggestion. It is a command, right? So God, God doesn't just uh, like beg people to come to salvation or off, give this general offer of salvation to people. He actually definitively saves people, right? He, um, God, the father from all eternity, um, uh, elects those whom he will save. Jesus, uh, dies and redeems those, um, for whom God, the father elected. Um, and, uh, and, you know, in, in, as it says in John six, right. I, I, uh, um, and I can't remember the, the way it's worded, but basically I will get whoever the father draws to me. Um, whoever, whoever the father draws to me will come to me. Right. Um, and then, uh, the Holy spirit applies that, um, redemption in, you know, individually and, uh, specifically to individuals through the preaching of the gospel and the, um, right? The spiritual life that comes from being born again. Um, and all of that is over the, uh, the, through the sovereignty of God and through his power, right? He can do what he wants to do and he has determined to do something. And so he will actually do it. Um, nothing will thwart him from doing that. Nothing can thwart him from doing that. Romans eight makes it very clear, um, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. If God has decided to place his love upon a person, nothing can change that. Um, God will love that person, and that means he will specifically and redemptively love that person so that they do not fall away from the faith, um, right? We, we, don't, we don't serve a God who um, wants to save people but can't um, or allows people to somehow d- defeat his purposes or even that God is some, like, as I said, rather an improv storyteller who can still accomplish his purposes by just doing acrobatics constantly and like rearranging things in the aftermath to make sure it all works out in the end. Um, and I, I feel like we talked about this before in the sovereignty or in the soteriology episode, but the things that come, the thing that comes to mind is a conversation I had on, again, on Facebook, um, about what, what God purposes to do, um, 
right? Because I, I, I believe that the Arminian, the normal Arminian response um, to the question, what does God, God want, is he wants everyone to be saved. Um, the problem is then we have a God who can't accomplish his ends. Um, mm-hmm. Because he doesn't. Uh, because he, he can't, right? Like he, he doesn't, he chooses not to. He chooses specific, like, and then this is this is the weird part. Like, we we you have to either there's there's three things that I think are considered to be true in Arminian theology, uh, in this sense, right? God wants to save everyone. God lets people choose freely whether or not to be like be saved, um, but also that God is all powerful and omniscient and like actually God, like, and so there's an inconsistency here. Right? One of those things has to give. Um, one of those things has to, um, has to, has to, uh, be wrong or else we have a, an, an eternal inconsistency, um, right? Either God can and will accomplish his purpose, um, or his purpose is different or both are, are, tr- are different, right? Like, um, cause I, I would assume that people would ac- agree with a statement that God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish, um, right? Like that God uh isn't gonna like um i don't know in a general way right like he's all powerful but that would imply right he's actually able to do anything he wants to do um as your mom said right god is in the heavens he does all that he pleases and he pleases to save people and so if he can't do that then one of those things is wrong um and it's not the bible it's you um <laughs> right like that god should be our, that should be our extra tagline it, tagline <laughs> something's wrong and it's not the bible it's you <laughs> <laughs> something's wrong here and it's not the bible it's you um yeah aj you have something pulled up you want to read? oh yeah i think uh, doing just a direct study in the greek or for someone that's like knows it more clearly because I think it's just a straightforward reading from Second Peter 3, 9. Yeah. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient yeah. toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So I think that's where that view, Arminian view, comes from, of like mm-hmm. taking that to mean to his extreme that <clears throat> it's 100% his will that none should perish, that every single person come to salvific that every single person in all humanity yeah yeah so then which would mean then that god's grace isn't really truly his grace yeah because it can be demanded and as we're reading through romans it would make absolutely no sense so we continue to sin so that grace may abound by no means like then that doesn't make any sense whatsoever in the mind of any single person like then no one would want to pursue christ because you just have automatic salvation yeah. just from i mean you're universal living at your that life point. and yeah. that's, that's the thing right like i know that people who espouse yeah. an arminian view of sartiology they're not universalists yeah. but the problem is there are too many verses that are either limited atonement or they're universalism and you can't have an in-between between mm-hmm. those things so this is one of those verses right like and, and honestly so uh, honestly it's it's um uh in context i think the easy easy way to just explain that verse is in context he's talking to a church um mm-hmm. and so the con- the obvious yeah. context would be believers right he's not wishing that any of the believers would perish because of course not because he's gonna save them that's his yeah. whole purpose 
Um, but if we if we yeah if we try to take these verses and, them, and, yeah. and isolate them and then apply them to to people that they're not meant to this literally the more and more I study scripture the more I, more I realize that audience is so important to yeah. correct interpretation of scripture. <laughs> so like, you're reading is, through Hebrews and you yes. take something to yeah. mean to anyone in the world, then you're yeah. gonna be mistaken. It's not gonna work. It's not gonna work, right? You I mean Revelation is one of these. If you yeah. if you. <laughs> <laughs> if you view Revelation as speaking to you as a 21st century person, of course it's not going to make any sense. But when you realize it was actually written to real people in the first century who understand things about the Old Testament, um, then it actually has a much different interpretation. So, yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts on theology proper? Um, I mean, one of the more some people would think basic things about god is that he's good the bible says that over and over again Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you know if you if you were to go up to an unbeliever and you know tell them god is good they would probably say well i don't agree with that because that's like everything the bible says that's not what i think is good yeah but like like we've been saying we have to define what these things mean by scripture and the Bible says that God is good, so it's not that we should be defining good as everything that we think is good, and it's not that we should be defining God by everything that, um, as because the Bible says God is good, it's not that we should be defining God by what we think is good. It's we should be defining everything by what who God is. Yes. And so if yeah. something is like god then it is good mm-hmm. and and so we can't um i mean we throw that word around so much like today like we say oh like that movie was so good and it's not to say that like it's wrong to use that word yeah. to say that something we, was enjoyable we sometimes realize or don't we, realize we the, cheapen yeah. it so much um because we should be defining everything in our lives by scripture and that would mean that um, good is such a high, such such a lofty word because it is used of God so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, right, like, I think we, we, the the issue, right, is that we, when people say, like, no, God's not good because of all these horrible things he, he did in, in Old Testament or whatever, right, they're, they're, they're assuming a standard that's above God, yeah. um, right, and so that's not, that's not something you can do because... It, by virtue god would be the standard the standard setter um and without the god of scripture existing there could be no standard at all so your argument their argument doesn't make sense in either in either case right um either they're trying to be god or if they say there is no god then they can't make a statement like this is not good they can't make any sort of value statement whatsoever um that's called the transcendental arguments uh (laughs) presuppositional apologetics anyway um but uh right yeah like god's goodness right god as you were saying right like god anything that god does is good by definition and that's that's the easy way to 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 figure this um right god has standards he's revealed them to us in scripture he's not and that's that's the cool thing about god he's not um an enigma in that sense right he has a very clear standard for what is good and what is not and we can just read scripture and understand that right he has standards for these things and if you read it in context and understand what why the standard is in in, um as in why the standard is in uh what's the word i'm looking for 
is why the standard is in there's a word I'm not I don't want to say implied I don't want to say implicated I want to say instituted why a command yeah. why a, a standard is instituted right why a standard is placed in a plate in a in a situation and said like this is the standard um if you can understand the context of those things then you can understand the 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 general equity of of whatever it is that um god is trying to reveal um right like what are you know god's basic standards and, and it all comes back to things that are in line with his character right so um the things we've talked about before um and jesus you know jesus himself summed this up pretty well right love god with all your hearts soul mind yeah. and strength love your neighbor as yourself um but how do we define love you know read the rest of scripture right mm -hmm. and you know love is the fulfillment of the law um so god's revealed his law and so the reason it's it's not that we just make up whatever love is and then oh we're following the law it's no you follow the law and then you are loving um because god's pretty clear about his law anything else just think with with that like if we just throughout our entirety of our day the times when we would just say the word good mm -hmm. like if we just stopped and like tried to find other phrases even though it would be very difficult like to great gain a greater appreciation for that characteristic of god like of moral perfection is what good means as opposed to what it's been dumbed to by down to by our culture and the same thing with the word love where it's been dumbed down to like it could mean like this brand new patch of sidewalk as opposed to this <laughs> little bit worse patch of sidewalk over here like yeah. this sidewalk yeah. is good <laughs> yeah and when we say that we often i think that's a lot of the times why we get weird looks as as calvinists when we say well no person is good yeah. because we use that word so much and people often say oh yeah. that person's such a good person yeah but if we really apply the standard that's set in scripture then we know that no one is good because no one is god Yes. <laughs> that, person that is a great quotable line. Someone clip that. I'm going to clip that. <laughs> that person is so wicked and it can see the Holy Spirit working through them and their sanctification. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Yeah. We mean, we do mean something by that. And it is yeah. a, a thing mm -hmm. that makes sense, right? We mean someone yeah. is civilly, civilly righteous, right? That they like yeah. technically like follow good standards. That way, yeah. um, but the problem is uh, technicality is not good enough. <laughs> yeah. Um, because we aren't worship. We aren't, you know, worshiping God when we do it. Um, we're usually having wrong motivations. I mean, always having wrong motivations unless we're in Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, we've, I'm sure we've gone through, um much of these 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 uh topics in more depth before so um so i'm sure there's there's lots of like little bits and pieces that like if you uh, found another episode you'd be like oh they expand on that piece here and stuff like that but yeah, yeah. so this you know as a general <laughs> overview of, of theology i think we we've covered a lot of good bases um and i basically have just been going through this this book because it's good Attributeology. Attributeology. Yep. Exactly. Does that mean you now have to put that in the liner notes? Uh, <laughs> it would if I put things in the liner notes. <laughs> I'm really bad at doing that. Yes, um, <laughs> but yeah, right. Like theology, the study of God. Um, it's important because if you don't know who God is, you're certainly not going to know who you are. Um, yeah. so uh, get in that Bible. Um, get some good theology books and start reading. Um. Any other last thoughts, guys?
I just kept thinking of when you said like the something setter, the I forget exactly how how you phrased it. Standard setter? The standard setter. Like I just imagined your dad like setting a volleyball like <laughs> <laughs> like some weird analogy <laughs> right where, right where got, dad is setting the volleyball uh-huh. and he's in the middle of the court and like the sovereignty of god like he is putting things exactly in how they're going to be in that direction to set it and to cause the yeah, people yeah. on his team to mm-hmm. to then yeah yeah play, i mean honestly game, it's a pretty good analogy how they want to play the game yeah yeah with how he directs them to play right because it it he sets the ball in its in the trajectory that's perfect for like yeah, yeah. he's prepared good. for like a spike or whatever yeah mm-hmm. romans <laughs> eight or Sorry, no. Ephesians two ten. Sorry. Yeah. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like that is setting us up so that mm-hmm. we should walk in those mm-hmm. things. Yeah. Yeah. So we see we see God on the sidelines just like <laughs> uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus was a great volleyball player, and I think I've turned into sacrilege. So we're going to end this quickly. So there you go. Um, You can find us on Twitter at Christ underscore art underscore show at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Christian Artist Show and at our website at ChristianArtistShow.com. I'm thinking we'll be back next week with uh, Doxology, I think. It's probably what we do. Should we do something more Easter related? Easterology. Easterology. <laughs> Easter Islandology. I mean, I'm sure we could always we could always we could always bend anything to to relate to Easter. But. It's true. Um, I don't know. If we can. Yeah, we'll figure it out. I'll we'll we'll talk on the message thread and uh, mm-hmm. decide if you want to just keep going with a series or like yeah. Except if you have a specific one. If we talk about Wester, you can't bend it to towards Easter. Wow. Oh man. Boy. Yeah. How far is the east is from the west? Like it's more oh wester. Um yeah. Well, this is the last episode of the Christian Artist with AJ on huh? No. <laughs> Best Western uh, hotel chain. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, seriously, thanks thanks AJ for coming on and talking with us about this. Uh it's great to have you on. And it was honestly it worked out perfectly because not only um did you have great thoughts anyway uh, as well right but like uh connor uh I, I realized i didn't explain that why connor isn't here um because <laughs> connor had a horrible day at work and he needed to go to bed um but of course he is in chat right now preaching the gospel to someone <laughs> in chat so that's what awesome. he's doing instead thanks um <laughs> uh, but yeah so we'll be back next week i believe with a the episode of the christian artist i don't see any reason why we wouldn't um we will not have a regular episode of Terranolius this week, but we will have a side story. We're doing we're going back to side stories oh, um, nice. in Terranolius. We did not have a single side story in season three <laughs> um, because we just whipped through it. But now we finally have an episode where someone's gone. Um, so we're going to go somewhere else in the world. Um, and but, you know, it's Good Friday this Friday. So obviously, no, yeah. <laughs> no Anno Domini. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, I think uh, I think that's it from us. I think. I think Connor and I are going to play Outward tomorrow on stream. I think that's what's going to happen. Instead of Inward? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just not in your thoughts, but like outwardly. Seriously, I need to put you and Seth in a room. Like, I just, I yeah. Need to oh my gosh. But yeah, so there you go. That is it from us here 
at uh, the Christian Artist LLC. That's the joke that I make now on stream. I just say whatever thing we're doing and then pretend it's a business. Toaster Strudel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back <laughs> at some point with another episode of the Christian Artist. Um, but maybe not next week because I'll go insane. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> see you guys. Have a great week.